Hey, Gem City. This is Seth from the Denver electro-sensual rock and roll band Rossonian. We will be coming to Dayton to play at Blind Bob's on May 5th, which will be our first time in Ohio. We'll be joined by a couple great local bands, Babbling April and Dead Sea Gold. We know it's a Tuesday night, but hope you can still come out and say hi. Please check out our new single, Late Kids, at our website, www.rossonianmusic.com, to see if you dig it. Thanks, Izzy, for featuring us on the show. Hope to see you there. Here comes trouble. Hey, what's up? This is Tom Segura. You're listening to Izzy Rock on the Tales from the Hard Side podcast. Hey, this is Brendan Walsh, and you're listening to Izzy Rock on Tales from the Hard Side. I'm here with my man Izzy motherfucking Rock, so pay attention. Talk to you by Matt Flavor. So, check yourself before you wreck yourself. yourself, yourself. These are tales from the hard side, painted so vivid Kicking real life stories, not woven or knitted Izzy Rock brings that rawness to all who listen Dropping heavy knowledge, knowledge and sharing some wisdom Going down that rough road only makes you tougher It's a beautiful struggle, sometimes we suffer Let the people know, you aren't in this alone This talk is deep, it cuts down to the bone No fakeness here, this as real as it gets Hazardous on the mic, kick it live and direct Spread that vibe everywhere, all across the globe The idea's real simple, there's no secret code Reach out to the people, spread that positive energy Cause we're all looking for a little bit of serenity Whatever little part of this planet you live in These tales from the hard side are now transmitting Transmitting Welcome to episode 166 of the Tales from the Hard Side podcast Today's podcast is with an old friend of Mr. Rock's Kevin Lee Wagner of the Gem City Martial Arts. Please go to GoFundMe.com and donate to the podcast. Mr. Rock needs new equipment. Go rate, review, and subscribe. Please call the voicemail and leave a message. Call 937-265-2024. Call 937-265-2024. Today's track is from Dayton Band Cricket Bows, who are playing Sideshow 10 on Saturday, May 9th. Please go to SideshowDayton.org for more information. Here's all the way down.
What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 166 of Tales from the Hard Side, released on April 28th, 2015. Every Tuesday, Tales from the Hard Side is released. I want to tell you guys to go to iTunes and Stitcher, go rate, review, and subscribe there, and go to theizzyrock.com for more information. Today, I got on with me somebody who I've known for quite some time. Uh, we worked at an unnamed place a while back in... I was in my early 20s, definitely, and he was recently on a uh, Gym City podcast to promote his studio, Gym City Martial Arts, and I want to introduce Kevin Wagner. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? Now, is it Kevin Lee Wagner, Kevin Wagner? Uh, well, I mean, you can call me Kevin. It's fine. I, I use Kevin Lee Wagner. It's just like the whole professional name right. I always have, so... But at most at most people call me Kevin or Kev or okay. some other nickname, you know? Right. But, so let everybody know where they can find you, your social media, websites, all that. Yeah. Stuff. Well, first of all, Gem City Martial Arts is in Kettering, 1843 East Stroop Road. It's uh, at the corner of Stroop and Wilmington, right across from the Mire. Uh, it's in the parking lot where there used to be a big Blockbuster. Blockbuster's no longer here. One Love Skate Shop right next door, Gregory's Tuxedo, Subby's. Um, on Facebook, Gem City Martial Arts, just do a search for it. Website, www.gemcityma.com. And on Twitter, I think it's just kwag at gemcitymartialarts.com. But if you just do a search for Gem City Martial Arts on Twitter, something you'll be able to find me. So Awesome, man. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it, it's good to have you. Just to let everybody know what's going on behind the scenes. I, it's Saturday, April 18th. 2015. Today is record store day, mm -hmm. and I want wanted to head out. I wanted to go to Omega Music anyway, but I found out the Buffalo Killers were playing at Omega Music at six o'clock. And uh, yeah, you can go down there. Oh, with, right on, right on. <laughs> and I had been wanting to talk to Kevin after I heard him on the Gym City podcast. Please go check that out at gymcitypodcast.com. It's episode um, 104. 104. And <laughs> and by the way. Uh, Gym City Podcast will be part of Sideshow 10, which is May 8th and 9th. And just search Dayton Sideshow in Google on Facebook, and you'll find all the information there. But we're going to be recording that day. And um, just go check it out. But, dude, I heard you on there, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that's my that's my buddy. That's somebody I've like, known for a long guy. time. Yeah. I knew him way before I even thought about what a podcast was. All right. So what's been up, man? You uh, well, first, first, <clears throat> mm -hmm. let's talk about your origin story because okay. we'll, we'll get to how you got to the shop. We'll we'll kind of we'll yeah. take that path. Oh yeah, we're taking a life story. Yeah, we'll, we're doing? Go, we'll go with a uh, kind of. Do you ever listen to Mark Maron's podcast, WTF? No, I haven't, but I always see commercials. Like he'll post, uh, they'll they'll make commercials about it, like on Comedy Central and stuff. And he's hilarious. He's always been like one of my top comics. Yeah. And so I, I need to check it out. I need to check out more podcasts than I have. <laughs> yeah. And now that this is the second one that yeah. I've been on, it's it's a good time. They're cool. I like what they're all about. I like right. the whole purpose of them. And uh, so I definitely need to check more out. Yeah, the Gym City podcast is more <clears> of a <throat> kind of a promote. Yeah. This, I've always enjoyed kind of the interview process. Mm -hmm. I think what uh, Mark Marin does, what Ari Shafir does. Uh, on the skeptic tank where they just sit down and the, they either talk about a topic or they just get to know people. Mm -hmm. And um, so your origin story, man, I, I was going through Facebook and I was like, what can, <laughs> what can I ask him? I was yeah. like, I knew the basic from the podcast, but 
So you're from Myrtle Beach. That's where I grew up, Surfside, Myrtle Beach, which is just south of Myrtle Beach. But, I mean, it's still part of the whole Myrtle Beach proper. Anybody who's ever gone down and gone to spring break or any kind of summer vacation, they usually stay, like, up toward the north end. And Surfside is right on the other side of Myrtle Beach, but it's still called, it's still all considered Myrtle Beach. So that's where I grew up. My dad was uh, in the Air Force and worked for the Department of the Air Force. Uh, and then ultimately the Department of Defense, uh, and I spent most of my life there. I moved there like when I was three. I moved up here uh, when I was almost sixteen. Wow! So all my formative years of getting in trouble and all the stupid things that you do, and and then uh, and then one day he came home and was like, uh, "So we're taking a job at Wright Pat," and I was like, "What?" That was like the worst thing you could ever tell like a budding teenager. You're gonna just strip him away from all of his friends or whatever. And, um, and, uh, so I, we moved up here and then it hadn't been too bad. Like I, I rebelled for a long time, like yeah. for a good year or so I, I put my parents through just absolutely hell, I'm sure. And then, uh, but I've met some of the best friends that I've ever had in my life up here and, and some good experiences because, you know, after you become a teenager and you start getting into young adulthood or whatever, it's a whole different, you know, whole different kind of experiences. So um, I stayed here. Then I went away to the military, came back. Dayton is somehow like a black hole. You can leave it and <laughs> you're going to come back. It's the easiest place to come back to. So, And I assure you, I'm going to tell everybody, any of your listeners or things that might just be from around here and haven't really gotten out much, um, there's way worse places. So <laughs> there are way worse places. So be be pleased. And actually, I've I've been able to see like some things about Dayton are starting to build back up, which is really cool. Yeah. And I like the fact that people like yourself, Jim City, uh, they're doing things to support the local community again. And so now you're starting to see a little bit more of a of an underground scene starting to sprout up. We're starting to have more shows again, local yep. shows and things like that. I remember in high school, it, it was a different show like almost every other day. Yeah. You know, you go into the new space, all the skaters are getting together, punks, medals, you know, everything. It was the greatest thing. And and that's one thing that I always liked about here. We didn't have that at the beach uh-huh. at all. Yeah. At the beach, you know, you're either going to surf or you're going to just like make out with some girl or whatever. And, you know, it gets kind of boring after a while. But. Well, what was like, <laughs> what was life like in Myrtle Beach uh, before you? Before you came here, what like yeah. what were you into? Were you into sports? Were you into music? What I, what was young Kevin like before he his dad broke the news? Like you're coming to Ohio. <laughs> I spent every year of my life playing baseball and skateboarding. Nice. That's the only thing I ever cared about. I got heavily into skateboarding, less into baseball. But I played baseball all the way into high school, even when I came up here. Um, I just always liked it, and now I don't really care for it. All the strikes and things, kind of. Left a bad taste in my mouth. But, yeah, uh, young Kevin growing up in Myrtle Beach every day, waking up, leave when the sun comes up, skateboard, hang out on the beach, leave and come back when the part when the street lights go on, you know? <laughs> and and it was just – it was a good time. Or we were playing wiffle ball in some empty field, you know, like the, the our house sat on a corner, so we actually had a big corner lot. Okay. So we would always play like – you know, touch football or or a wiffle ball over in my neighborhood. And I actually, I'd been back a couple of times. And then last year, just last year, over Labor Day weekend, I went back for like actually a long vacation and took my wife down there because she had never been there. 
and I uh, wanted to show her kind of where I came from. And it was sort of amazing because I had time to actually get out and enjoy things. The other times that I've been back, it just been like for like, you know, uh, uh, like a day or something like that, sure. you know? Um, so I got to get out and enjoy things, see how the place had changed, went through the old neighborhood. And, you know, when you're 42, you're like, man, all this stuff seemed like bigger and further away when I was a kid, you know, like I swore to God, I was riding my bike for miles. And it's like, it's like not even a mile down the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, or you go up to your friend's house, Hey, I'm going to go to, you know, Harvey's house or whatever. And you know, your dad would be like, just walk. And you're like, it's so far away. It's like, it's a block over. It was not any, you know what I mean? It's so funny. Things are different when you're all grown up, you know, yeah. your world is a lot larger when you're a kid. Right. And since you're, since you're a, we're about the same age. I turned mm -hmm. 42 in June. Yeah. Um, skateboarding back then was something that was a little bit more underground. It was mm -hmm. associated with punks and misfits yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, who inspired you to get into skating? And what were some of your early memories of like skate culture? It was kind of... Um it definitely spawned from, for me, it spawned from surfing. I didn't really get that heavily into surfing. I had friends that had board. I never owned my own surfboard. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would hang out at the beach, and I had friends who were like, hey, I got another board. Come surfing with us. I basically did it long enough to, like, learn to stand up on it, cut some waves. That was it. I never got that into it. But then sidewalk surfing, right? I mean, and it's been around forever. I mean, it's been around since, I mean, even before the 60s, but... You know, you saw the, uh, you know, the surge in it with the Z boys and things out in California, and it was kind of like that. Even in the, even in the, uh, the um, early to mid '80s, it was, it wasn't super popular. But the Bones Brigade came about, and you started seeing a surge in that kind of, that kind of, uh, you know, athleticism. And hey, this is kind of a little bit more accepted than I thought. So it was really easy to be a part of down there, and it was more accepted. Now let's fast forward. I moved up here, and they hated me. <laughs> I moved up. I moved up here, and I moved. Uh, we moved to Beaver Creek. Yep. And I went to high school in Beaver Creek. And like the second day of school, I'm getting in a fight. They're calling me skater fag, you know. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, I ride a skateboard. Therefore, like you guys got all these names for me. And it was the worst thing ever because, like, zero people skated in Beaver Creek when I moved here in 1988, not, late 1987, 1988, beginning of 88. And, um, you know, so I'm like, I got to find somebody to hang out with. I even, like, went through this phase where I'm like, okay, maybe it's the way I dress. I got my, I got my pants cuffed. I'm wearing, you know, like baggy type of shirts i got a tan for christ's sake because i just moved up here from the beach and they hated me then i met some people oddly enough like the punks and the metalheads that are like dude you're cool man you know let's you know, we're gonna go have a party or something and then and then i slowly started to find like the three or four guys that skated at beaver creek and started hanging out with them and then through hanging out with them i realized there's like this huge Dayton scene and skateboarding that even if you look out if you look back at it now like if you if you find like some old uh you know like Thrasher or Transworld skateboarding magazines or something 
It, it's it's ridiculous what has come out of Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. as far as skateboarding. Day, and I'm saying Dayton, Ohio, but you got Dayton, Cincinnati, you got Marty Jimenez, Rob, uh, not Rob Roscott, but uh, Bill Danforth lived here for a while. He came back here. We had Ohio Surf and Skate, which I knew about in 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 South Carolina because I would get surfer magazines, and all I knew about the North was. There's people skating in Surf, Ohio. I didn't even realize it was in Dayton until I moved here. Mm-hmm. And snowboarding. So I got heavily into snowboarding, too. But, um, yeah, Deerdick, Mark Heinzman, all these kids, man, all these, like, big names that came out of here. Some of them are still skating, coming out of retirement or whatever. I haven't really skated solid myself now for about 15 years. But to be honest with you, my friend Nick owns uh, – one love skateboard shop, two doors down. I went in like a week ago. I was like, it's time, man. I need a setup. <laughs> it's time to skate. Yesterday, I went outside, did the first uh, kick flip I've done in about in about 10 years, landed it, got excited, tried something else, smacked my shin, and was like, I'm going inside. Because <laughs> it's not like 20 years ago, you know, where you could heal up. Now I'm just like, oh, my God, my shins are killing me. It hurts, you know, and I'm doing all the martial arts and everything, too, but... Um, yeah, skateboarding. Oh man, skateboarding just launched probably where I am right now. Yeah, for many reasons. Yeah, because then when you get up here and I'm skating, now people are picking on you and want to fight. So I uh, better get into some martial arts. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get into it until, uh, and we'll move more into the martial arts yeah, a, little, sure. a little later. Um, uh, but you didn't get into it until how old were you when you got into that? Well, I was 15 and I kind of got into it just like uh, kind of half ass like friends of mine that mm-hmm. were doing it. Then I would play with them and they would show me things. When I was younger, I had uh, a pretty bad temper problem, which uh, it's not nearly as bad now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, but when, so when I was a kid, actually, I, I expressed interest in it in South Carolina and my parents just kind of thought that. You know, it, once again, martial arts wasn't even as popular as it is now. Right. So they just kind of thought, like, I'll start taking these things and then, like, picking fights. And in hindsight, I know that's not what I would have done because that's just not the kind of person I am. But, yeah, I, I understand them being, you know, being trying to be safe like that. They didn't want me to just be out there causing damage or yeah. got a bad temper and you just start punching people. You know, you don't want to do that. But. Yeah. So, so they didn't, they didn't, they weren't supportive of me getting into it. No, you're playing baseball, you're skateboarding, you got enough things that you're into. So then when I moved up here, once again, kind of being a loner for a while, I found some people that were into that too. And it was fun because I wanted, I'm primarily athletic, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, uh, playing baseball and everything. Um, so it, it was easy to try to just kind of cross into. And the more that I did, even if it's just like, Hey, look at this one thing that we learned at our class. I just kept wanting to learn more. Uh-huh. And then uh, when I went away to the military, I was like, well, you know, I'm a grown-ass man now. I'm going to start doing this on my own. So <laughs> so I was, I was pretty much 18 when I got into something organized okay. and said, it's time to take a path, you okay. know. Wasn't just playing around with it anymore. All right. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that here in a second. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so you're into the, the – are you into punk? You're into metal? Yeah. You're into all that yeah. when you were younger. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know That's when, I, when I first, when we first met, uh, one of the shows that we we didn't go to together, but you were at and I was at was uh, Limbiscuit. All right. On. Yeah. And uh, I know we went to see Cypress Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think a whole group of us went, yeah. went separately. And yeah. that was, that was a wild time. But you were into yeah. a lot of the same 
shows mm-hmm. and a lot of the same music that I was mm-hmm. back in the day. So what? Wh- how'd you get into that that music? And uh, being in the Dayton area, where did you find your music at? Well, same thing kind of happened back up to South Carolina. When you're skating, you get the skaters, surf punks, that kind of thing. Some guys are like starting little high school bands and stuff like that, which gets you turned on to other kind of music when you're skating. Dead Kennedys, GBH, that kind of thing, TSOL. These are the things that I really like. Friends of mine just like thrust me into this. I I know jack about music. I know my dad's an Elvis fan. So I'm like, there's got to be more than that. You know what I mean? So these guys, these people that I was skateboarding with and surfing and everything, they're showing me these things. Uh And then you realize, wait, it doesn't just happen in a in a studio. They actually come out and play for crowds. Like I was really kind of oblivious to all that. I didn't I didn't realize all that. Right. Then you start going to live shows and you're like, this is badass. You know, this is great. Like, why isn't this happening all the time? Turns out it is. I just didn't know. It's kind of stupid. But um then you have that kind of experience. You're like, I want more of this. Oh well. And then it's like real life Pandora. Well, if you like this, you'll probably like this, yeah. you know? And it and and that's how my tastes developed. Then you start hanging out with people that are listening to like uh, early kind of hip hop. I didn't like early hip hop. I liked I liked the Beastie Boys, but I wasn't a big fan of like, you know, I, I never liked N.W.A. really. I didn't like that kind of stuff. It was just like, you know, blah, you know, if you listen to it on a radio, if there's more beeps than there is lyrics i wasn't really interested in that you know i'm like i want to enjoy it and i can't if all you hear is you know it sounds like cat williams on comedy central at 10 in the morning so you know but then there was hip-hop that i like oh man tribe called quest you know run dmc the early days beastie boys of course uh, springboard for a lot of things so that's how my music tastes kind of went and then um of course from you know, the punk scene, it's not that hard to make the crossover to metal and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and it's still developing for me, honestly. I mean, I'll hear some things that people be like, man, that sucks. I'm like, dude, I love that. Like, and I get on these kicks, I'll get on these kicks for months. I'll just be listening to like good hip hop or something like that. And then I'll be like, I'm kind of done with that. I want to listen to some old school. Like, just recently, I got off of this kick where I was just listening to like, uh, like suicidal tendencies and stuff for like two months, you know? And I'm like, man, where's this, where's this been? You know? And then you find it on Pandora and you're listening to it and they sprinkle some Danzig in there. Then of course the Dayton scene has always had an excellent music scene, which, you know, once again, kind of fulfills your need for live music and things. And so lately I've been like on, you know, I've been listening to a lot of like Iron Maiden and some old Metallica and things like that before they started turning into like couple skate songs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's about it. And actually I even go back, um, like when I'm sitting at work, I'll put on headphones and I'll listen to like, uh, you know, like Ventura Highway and, you know, that kind of thing, like uh, James Taylor. No. You know? Oh, yeah, dude. I just I'll sit down and just listen to that because it's mellow and I'm just banging away to keyboard, designing. Yeah. You know, my day job is a, I'm a mechanical designer, basically like an engineer. So I put on headphones and just like go away and just get to work. And it's hard to do that to kill switch engage. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're just like, I want to throw something then. But, <laughs> but, you know, you put on some James Taylor or some Fleetwood Mac and psh, I'll just like work for. And then you're like, oh, wow, the day's done. Right on. I can go home. I'm in a better mood, you know. So I, I, I guess I have a pretty 
pretty broad music music taste, yeah. but I'm always willing to hear like some other things. There's some things out there that people love, and I'm like, you're you're crazy. I don't know, but I'm no musician. I can't play an instrument to save my life. I've never produced a show a day in my life. You know, I just I go and you hear something and you know what you like. You know, that's yeah. kind of how I am. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. you, dude. Um, and so a- around 18, mm-hmm. you said you joined the military, and I, I see, I heard, I read that you're a third generation military yeah. uh, person. Yeah. So tell me about that journey and and tell me about your, your dad and your grandfather. I, I just, I grew up, my dad was coming home every day in a uniform. And when I was a kid, I was like, I want to do that. I don't even know what he did. I mean, I didn't, as a kid, you mm-hmm. know, I just knew he's, he comes home every day and he's got this blue uniform on, his stripes on his sleeve and he just seems important. And I don't think it was about being important for me. Um, my dad has always just kind of like been there. Both my parents, they're still together. They met, they got married, they had kids. They're still together 46 years later. And it's, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah. And um, they've just always been people. I've never been afraid to be like, oh, shit, man, my parents are going to find out about this. Nine times out of ten, they found out about it from me, you know, like because I could just go talk to them. And then, you know, whatever, punishment fits the crime or they give you the speech. So I always looked up to my dad in that way. And um, so I don't know, just at a young age, I was like, I just, I want to do that. I didn't even really know what I wanted to do, you know, until like Top Gun comes out and then everybody wants to be a fighter pilot, but I didn't even go that route. (laughs) But um, I just knew I wanted to go in. And then it kind of sealed the deal when, you know, you take a kid out of a beach environment, move him up here. And I'm like, I got two years of high school, man. I'm definitely out. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah. getting out of Dayton. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I joined the military. Um, my grandfather was in. He got drafted during World War II. And, um, dude, his story is probably a podcast all by itself. But the the short of it is, is he, um, if you go see a movie, rent a movie called When Trumpets Fade, that's what my grandfather went through he basically got thrown into a battle that was supposed to last a couple of weeks and it lasted months people were just dying going through the Hertzgren forest in Belgium and then their their um their reward after getting out of that was then the battle of the the battle of the bulge mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest battles in American history and he made it through both of those and um my father uh, retired from the United States Air Force as a chief master sergeant, E-9, which is the highest enlisted rank. And then he continued to work for the Department of Defense in the United States Air Force as a uh, pretty high civilian rank. My grandfather never talked about his Army career, so we didn't find out until my dad started looking into it back in like 2003, 2002, something like that. And he, and, and he comes to me, he's like, holy shit, man, you got to see what your grandfather did, what he went through. No wonder he never talks about it. So it turns out my grandfather was awarded the Bronze Star through going through those battles, but it was such a foobard situation that they didn't award anybody. They're, they were just like, okay, we're going to kind of sweep this under the rug. It didn't go the way that we wanted. We'll just keep moving forward with the war. And then afterwards, it was just kind of forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. And I think my grandfather got really bitter about that. So we had uh, we had this situation. My, my dad looked into it, found out about all this, found out about the award. And at the time, my grandfather was still alive. He no longer is. But uh, he, we brought him and my grandmother down to my dad's house 
and just kind of like had this little party, little cookout, whatever. And completely unbeknownst to my grandfather, my dad pulls out the certification and the bronze star and awarded it to his father. Oh, that's which was gives me goosebumps right now. Yeah, right. And um, and dude, that old man just started talking about the shit that he experienced, and we're all just like. E.F. Hutton, dude, just staring at him like, what in the world? History that you're never going to read about, you know yeah. what I mean? And it was just, it was ridiculous, and I really got a chance to be a part of that, and that was cool, which then made me feel even better about being third generation, you know? I just wanted to go in because I just saw my dad growing up, and and I've always, you know, I still respect the military. Uh, I'm a vet. I'm very happy about being a vet. Support all vets. Please go out and do that. Support your troops, regardless of what you think about the government. It's not their fault. Um, the troops fault. I mean, uh, and, and then my nephew, my sister had two kids and my, uh, her oldest, uh, is an, is a son who is, who also went in. So he was fourth generation. So it's pretty cool. My parents at their house got a mantle and it's just like all four of us at, at different times in our military uniform. Um, on the music side, yeah. my nephew, who's 26, I hope, Steve, um, he is the drummer for a band called Life Giver, and I don't know if you've heard of them yet. No. They're from down in Middletown, okay. and they're really good, pretty heavy, very clean, very tight, and I know I'm biased, but my nephew is a phenomenal drummer. If you ever get a chance to check them out, I think they're going to be playing out sometime soon. They're like putting a, a CD together, whatever. They got some things. They got a website. Um, uh, they got a Facebook page where you can hear some of their music. And uh, I, I dig them. So actually, when I'm riding in the car, I'll put that on sometime. And be like, yeah, Steve, and just kind of <laughs> like headbang we'll, out. A little we'll bit. go out with one of their songs. Uh, if, yeah. if they have something that they I, do, okay. oh, they totally do. Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah it's we'll, not. We'll go out at the end of the podcast. Right uh, on. Post production. Can I pick it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, so the, how, what years were you in, and did you actually have to go to war? I went in. Um, I went in it, right after high school. Right after I graduated it was in 1991, and I stayed until 1995. And actually, when I went in, I, my full intention was to stay in. Uh-huh. But uh, between the the first George Bush and the Clinton era, there wasn't a lot going on. This was toward the tail end of the Persian Gulf. Yeah. So to answer that question, I did. Uh, the Persian Gulf was actually a pretty really short war. Yeah, really short but war. But then we still did a lot of uh, like security detail and things, and we stayed over in, in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and things. Uh, for years. So I was over there. I went to Saudi Arabia, into Kuwait, um, stepped foot in uh, Iraq one time um, while I was over there, which was in 1993, uh, for 92 days. That was it because it was pretty peaceful at the time. Some things, there was like some radar site bombing, you know, or like, hey, quit acting up and fire some shots over and everybody would settle down. But it wasn't the war like we watched on TV, which lasted like seven days. Yeah. So... Um, so it was pretty peaceful. It was a good experience. I mean, I would never see it otherwise. I wouldn't just recommend somebody just pack up and go to Saudi Arabia, sure. you know, but, <laughs> but it was cool to see yeah. and I'm glad I experienced it. Yeah. Um, but I was going to stay in for, for life just because my dad stayed in for life. And I was like, this is an awesome career, good benefits and things like that. But after Persian Gulf and the changeover from the first George Bush to Bill Clinton era, there wasn't really anything happening. So they started kind of doing cutbacks in the military, offering people early retirement. 
And so I saw these guys that I work with that I, you know, respected and things I have like 16 years in, they come off for them early retirement and early benefits. And they're like, yeah, I only got like three or four more years. I'm going to stick it out. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And then like a year and a half later, they come and they go, well, we gave you an opportunity. We're just cutting you out. Peace. Mm -hmm. No benefits. No much. Yeah. And these are people with like kids and stuff. And now like well into their thirties might not be the best opportunity to like go back to school, try to find something. I watched that. So I was like, I'm doing four and I'm going to go to school, man. And just like, make sure I have a pass. Cause I don't want to get stuck in this Of course. Now in hindsight, we went to two wars. Everyone, everybody would have been fine. There's definitely no cutbacks, but, um, yeah, I, I don't really know how I feel about those two wars, but yeah. I don't want to get into that conversation. No, no, we, Once again, I still support the troops. <laughs> I'm happy to be a vet and all that stuff. But you don't when you're a vet, when you're in the military, obviously, you, you know, your call is, you know, your call of duty. You go do whatever, whether you agree with it or not. Yeah. I mean, there are ways that you can get out of it, but um, but you're not. So, you know, I would have went over and I would have done what I was supposed to do, even if you don't necessarily agree with it, you know, yeah. but anywho, I so lost, I did lose some friends in this war. Oh man. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. I think, I think a lot of us have. Yeah. Oh, no. So you, you come back. Um, and like you said, you came back to Ohio, mm -hmm. um, and you, you settled and that was probably around the time when you started working where we worked. Yeah. And, um, I remember going to the shows with you and then, then all of a sudden I left and kind of lost touch of you for a little while mm -hmm. and then got back in touch with you. And then yeah. I realized like through Facebook and everything through social media, you're like, Oh, he's, he's like really into martial arts. Mm -hmm. And then, then you open up a studio. Mm -hmm. And so how did it go from being, and, and this is, I, I talked about this to you before the podcast, but there's been kind of a theme of, in my life, wanting to see people find something that they're passionate mm -hmm. about yeah. and be able to make a living off of uh, doing. I think it's important to teach kids to not settle, to not settle for a job like like where I'm at mm -hmm. to find to go pursue their passion. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I think taking your paycheck and pursuing your pa passion with your hobbies is mm -hmm. one thing, but being able to build something to make a living mm -hmm. off of your passion. So you've you've kind of you've built that. Yeah, I'm and you're, I'm you're kind of in a transition where <laughs> yeah. you're you're moving away from corporate mm -hmm. America to like where you're you're right. a boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess sorta. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's still like circumstances where there's something above you. you yeah, know, yeah. Well, and I bill think, collectors. I, but, I think you there's know. always there's always that. But yeah. To be in control, making my own hours, making yeah. the decisions, whatever. So, right. so, how did that transition happen? Where you were like, I, I want to pursue this. Yeah. I want to teach. Yeah. I want to teach this. Well, uh, when I got into it, um, even in the early stages of getting into it, even just like screwing around with friends, you know, trying to learn things, <clears throat> it just like it. I absorbed it immediately. I was like, I love this. I want to keep doing it. Just like I did with skateboarding, just like I did with snowboarding or anything else. I just want to keep doing this. How do I get more? And then I started, you know, going to, when I went to military, I started doing classes and things, going to places and wanted to pursue the black belt. Then you get the black belt. And I mean, there are ranks after black belt, but you know, it's it's like anything else. Um, let's take art just in general, because martial arts is, in fact, an art. 
you know, when you go to high school or whatever, you're taking some art classes and you find out, man, I like doing this drawing, but then like you try painting one day and you're like, dude, painting is awesome. I love painting. Or maybe you try sculpting or whatever. So as far as martial arts, it's all basically kind of the same. Um, but you find out that maybe this particular art that you're training in, you still have questions and you get to a point where you you can't get those questions answered where you are. So now I got to go find it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. This is answering these questions, but now I got even more questions. And that's how that path continues. And next thing you know, you're you're acquiring like several black belts along the way and a lot of pretty cool instructors and some fabulous martial artists and you're learning a lot of things about yourself and other people and the world because it's not just about like learning how to punch something or anything like that you're learning how to deal with your environment you're learning how to deal with yourself you're learning how to be more peaceful um you know uh, is is it perfect every day no but (laughs) you know you you do learn a lot along the way. There's way more to it than just learning how to block, kick, punch, whatever, you know, defend yourself. You defend yourself with your mind long before you get to the physical aspect of it. And as I kept following these this path and as I kept learning from more people and getting more wisdom and getting more questions answered, then I'd figure kind of back like I did when I was a little kid. And I see my dad. I'm like, I want to kind of be like this. I want to be able to to express what I've learned and things to other people the best that I can. And then it just kind of starts with, Hey, I got a friend that's interested in it. And we just play around a couple of times a week or whatever. And then you do that for 15, 20 years. And then, then you meet this beautiful woman that I have this wife. And she was like, you, I've been talking about opening a martial arts school for 10 years. Really? And she's like, why don't you just do it? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't think it's that simple. And she goes, it, it kind of is. If you want to do it, just go do it. Which is something that I've always expressed to people because I tell people, especially in the martial art world, is people like, oh, I want to come down and take class. I'm like, all right, well, you're here. You know, you know where we are. Come on down. And it's really a matter of like anything else in your life, right? I mean, think about even this thing that you do here. If you want to do something, you'll figure out how, yeah. and you'll do it. Yeah. If you don't, you're just going to talk about it, and you're going to make up excuses, and you're going to be like, oh, I've always wanted to go you know, get a PhD. No, you didn't because you never did it. You know. <laughs> so it was just kind of that way. I found myself talking about it, but it's a scary step. Yeah. You know, you're like, is that something you want to fail at? And then now you're just like in debt more than you are in the first place. Yep. But I, I, I just kind of said, you know, I'm going to try it. This is what I feel like I need to be doing. This is what the direction I feel like I need to be going with my martial arts. Not just that, but like, you know, from a business aspect, I want to, uh, you know, nobody wants to go work for somebody else. The place that I currently work is great. My boss is awesome. The people that I work with are good people. Um, But I don't want to do that forever. I don't want to just keep working for the gold watch and then what? You know what I mean? I want to be able to, I want to be able to wake up every day come into my martial arts school, teach my martial art to people and travel around and train with my instructors and, and training partners till I'm like 90 years old. And, and I'll do that job for the rest of my life. I won't retire from that. So that's my plan. You know, maybe it seems kind of like, you know, like, oh, that's, you know, awfully lofty, but I don't think it is. I don't, I don't think it is at all. So that's what I'm doing. I think, I think it's <laughs> instead of, well, 
lofty, and I don't think it, that's a negative thing. Yeah. I think I think when we have goals in life and when we have pursuits of things that we're passionate about, mm. I think you have to make lofty goals yeah. to be able to to have the passion to reach them, right? And have the fortitude to to take the effort to get there, mm-hmm. right? And so when I when I see and I hear that you're you're doing this, man, it's inspiring to somebody like me. Like there's so many things that I'm passionate about, but it's that fear that you you know like I don't know I don't want to fail at that. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to fail and then be in debt with. But I think that if you don't take that step, and then you're that 65, 70 year old looking back and going, wait a second, that was when I was 42. Yeah. yeah. And I, all these years passed, I could have done it. Right. That's, you know, for me in the job where I'm at, I often think about that. Like, I would have just started when I was 25. Yeah. 26. Yeah. And then even 33, 34, 35. Like, there's a lot of my friends who are in their, mid to late 30s and they're like oh just i don't i don't know i'm getting too old for that yeah but my father-in-law he didn't become a teacher until his 40s wow and so there's people that i look at and that inspire me that i'm like you know maybe as something like a goal like the gym city podcast maybe i could help grow that into something so it's it's nice to see the passion that people have for the projects and, and the life pursuits. But did you travel to go get get like where did you travel in the world to go study? Um, well, every bit of my martial arts training has pretty much been here in the yeah, United yeah. States. My instructors, though, um, my current instructor, who is the founder of the the system that I train in, um. He goes to the Philippines mm-hmm. every year for like a month in in January, because he's master level. So he goes over there and he trains with his instructors, and you know just fights and spars with all these masters for like a month, and then he comes back and he's like even way better than he was when we left, and then he imparts all that onto us, you know. So it just it keeps going, it perpetuates. So I've I've never left the country for like specifically to seek out training i hope one day i get a chance to go over to the philippines that would be great um but i've met and trained under and trained with and actually got one of my black belts from that older gentleman that i was just talking about his name is senior grandmaster kakoi kenyetti which i talked about on the gem city podcast uh my instructor is zach whitson and that is one of zach's instructors we used to bring him over, we being Zach and some of our training partners, and he would do a little United States tour mm-hmm. every year. Um, so I was fortunate enough to meet him, sit with him at dinners, talk and tell jokes with and listen to just history and um, get to meet him and train with him and get hands on with him. Um and now he's like, you know, 95 years old. So he's not coming back to the States. But that was when he was like 89, 90. So, I mean, even that old, you know, and I'm, and once again, you see that and you're like, I want to be this guy. I want to be doing this, you <laughs> yeah. know? How many people in the United States, how many Americans are in their 90s traveling, being physically active? doing martial arts oh my god much like <laughs> wh- how about walk down to the end of the block right. much less doing martial arts for eight hours a day right. you know what i mean yeah. so you're like that is just 
fascinating. You know, that's that's fabulous. Who, who's doing this? Nobody. This guy. Not, not too many people. He's no. he's like one of the. He's few. it. He's it. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so they're out there. They're out there in the world. And I I hope maybe someday I'll get a chance to go over, um, and do some training in the Philippines because that's it's like as far as the arts that I train. That's like the motherland, you know. But yeah. and, and I know there's different martial arts. Mm-hmm. What what kind of martial arts have you practiced? And to be honest with you, my my knowledge is yeah. very limited. It's typical. So, it's not just so you. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this, yeah. and they'll they'll go, okay. Yeah. What what are you? Uh, what's your? What do you practice? And what what are some of your favorite martial arts? The 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 stuff that I practice now is Filipino martial arts, okay. which primarily referred to as FMA, Filipino martial arts. It's from the Philippines. My start, the very first thing I ever got involved in was uh, kickboxing, which is just pretty much boxing with kicks, mm-hmm. um, which is a sports system. So I started with that, um, and then and I was learning that from a from a guy from Belgium, um, which kickboxing is pretty big sport over in Europe, uh, Belgium, Germany, France, that kind of thing. Some places call it savat. Um, so I was doing some of that. That got me my taste because you're learning to block, keep your hands up, kick, punch, whatever, your basic fighting stuff. When I went into military and got started in an organized martial arts system, I got involved in an Okinawan system, which is actually very much derivative of what you see on the original Karate Kid movie. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, so it's, it's pretty funny because my instructor was um, part Japanese, part black, he was a great instructor, great sensei, and we would bring over the grandmaster of that system uh, once a year and do seminars and things like that. So I got to meet that guy. That guy like didn't even speak English, and at the time he was like in his mid eighties, and he's like tossing these guys around. Once again, fascinating. You're like, I want to be that guy. And then you know, I was talking about you know, you, you get to a certain point, and then they can't answer any more questions from me because that's a that's a Japanese system. Uh, I'm calling it a Japanese system because Okinawa is pretty much owned by the Japanese. But the Okinawan systems were derivative of China because they were enslaved by the Japanese for a long time. So they were sneaking over to China, learning how to fight, coming back and defending themselves. Um, but they're they're what they're referred to as traditional systems, which means they were created, let's just say for argument's sake, fifteen hundred, and they haven't really evolved since. Mm. So they're they're very much still rooted in that that history and traditionalism that they were created in, which worked worked very well. And they're still very effective for certain scenarios in life. And in fighting, but martial arts as a whole has um, expanded and developed and the technology of training and what people have learned from different countries and applying things. And just like the technology of the fight has evolved just so far that the traditional systems kind of have a hard time keeping up. There may be people that just hear everything that I just said that get so pissed off at me that I don't even know how to explain it. But these are my feelings, right? So, and, and from my own experience. So after that, when I got out of the military, I came back here, tried to find a similar club, found two. Both the instructors were complete tools. I'm going to leave their names out of it. 
Um, they just weren't cool people. They weren't teaching their students anything worth a damn. And I hated it and I didn't want to be any part of it. So then I found, I was reading the newspaper at my dad's house one day and there's a guy that used to be Elvis Presley's bodyguard opening up a karate school in a system called Ed Parker Kempo. That's back there over my shoulder. Okay. Um, so I was like, dad's an Elvis fan. I know all about Kempo because when you, even when you're just, you know, people say they study martial arts. Do you take karate or do you study martial arts? I try to study martial arts. It's more than just the class that you're taking. You know, you want to find out history about it, find out what works, blah, blah, blah. Just like anything else, do your research. So I knew about Kempo. I knew about Ed Parker. I knew about Elvis Presley. Didn't know this guy. Go over, talk to him. Sweet. This, this system starts to answer questions for me. Met a lot of people. American Kempo Karate is actually how I met Zach Whitson, who was my current instructor and the founder of the Counterpoint Tactical System. So through that path, I got up to um, as high as fourth degree black belt. And, um, and then I started training and learning more things from Zach. Zach, Master Whitson, I call him Zach because he's my friend. <laughs> and, um, but he was not only a high-ranking uh, professor in, in uh, American Kempo, but he had already achieved the rank of master instructor of two different Filipino martial arts systems. And he was starting to incorporate that into his teachings of American Kempo mm -hmm. to help people in American Kempo get better at finding entries, being more of a thorough fighter, well-rounded fighter. And uh, some people didn't like that. And people like myself did. And I was like, hey, uh, how do I do more of this? And so I developed that relationship with Master Whitson, um, Zach. And it just kind of went from there. And his developments and the things that he was putting together ultimately got him recognized by a uh, big association called Whipping Willow, which is a bunch of masters, various masters from around the world that just get together and say, what this guy's doing is fantastic and he is wonderful and he's answering a lot of questions and doing things that nobody else is doing. Um, we'd like to call this a standalone martial arts system and call you the grandmaster. It's your thing. And he accepted it. And people like myself and a handful of others at the time just said, this is where I'm going. And then through him, I got to meet senior grandmaster Kakoi Kenyetti and uh, both of these systems are Filipino martial arts. Uh, what makes the Filipino martial arts different? I mean, there's a whole history lesson about it, but the Filipino martial arts, um, somebody once said to me that if somebody tomorrow starts fighting with a bar stool, the Filipinos will figure out a way to counter it. So that's kind of gives you a little bit of a a piece of what the Filipino martial arts is all about. They're like, oh, somebody's fighting like this. We got to look at that. We got to dissect it and we got to do it better. And we got to figure out how to stop it, you know, with our own stuff. So they're primarily a weapons-based martial arts systems, mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that's all, that's all they do is fight with the weapons. You train yourself, to me, the, um, the epitome and the highest level of training is putting two weapons in your hand say two knives they're they're not to piss off the gun people they're the most dangerous weapons out there because they're multi-angular you don't even have to be good you can just kind of flip a knife around and cut things um where you have to be more precise with like a a, a gun or something like that so you take two blades 
and they're very dangerous, not just offensively, but defending against them. So if you're training for that kind of situation and then you take the knives out of the equation and now it's just back to bare hands, it's like, it's kind of like the matrix. I mean, you're just, <laughs> you're like, wow, I can, <laughs> things just slow down because I don't have this blade to worry about. So that's a really layman, you know, type of way of describing sure. it. But, um, yeah, so you start incorporating weapons and it just like, it, it just increases your skill set by, you know, tens, hundreds, whatever. And then you get rid of them and then your average guy at a bar that just kind of throws that big old looping haymakers you're just like that's not even scary anymore but don't go out and get in fights please have you have <laughs> you been challenged uh outside in a bar or something like that and you had to defend yourself not so much in a bar i mean at a I, show or anything like well that? you know when you're younger every stupid 20 year old full of piss and vinegar and beer wants to fight so to say that that situation's never shown up would be a lie but they're they're not they're not mm, they're not as hefty as they are when you're older. Yeah. Well, actually, when you're older at this age, yeah. um, if if you get confronted with something, it's probably going to be way more dangerous than it was when you were 20. Absolutely. And and it's that's a scary thought. Yeah. Um, I do have a story that I uh, that we would end up taking up like hours of this podcast. But um, in 2005, I was on a business trip and I was actually robbed and held in the back of a taxi at Knife Point in India, in Bombay, India. What? And, yeah, and it was um, one of the scariest situations of my life. And, That's um, an understatement. It- and yeah, and then it, it came out. I still don't like the outcome. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a long story. I don't want to get into the details. I'll be more than happy to talk about it, but it's a long it's a long story. I put a lot of feeling into telling this story. Well, but, um, well do you, hold on. Do you want to yeah. save it for... Second go around? Yeah, if you want. I'll be more than happy to tell that story. But um, as far as uh, other situations, when you're training in the martial arts and you have something like, um, I don't get challenged so much on the outside anymore. I think generally when people are getting older, they get more respectful for each other. You know what I mean? And they just don't want to, you know, they don't want to bump into people. And it's not because I'm a badass or something or other people are not. It's just that as you get older, Certain things are more important. Your wife, your kids, paying your bills, waking up tomorrow to pay, you know, to go to work, do the things that you love to do. Just generally try to be nice to people. And if you can't, I think we just all kind of ignore each other. Yeah. Um, but there have been people that come in here, and so far it's been fairly friendly. They come in here, they train in a different martial art, and it's basically like, uh, I want to see what you got. We do this, and we're like, okay, and then. We've, uh, I haven't found anybody that's come in here yet that I haven't just like shut down whatever it is that they think they can do. And then they get a little upset and they don't come back around. So it, it, it's interesting. Long kind of are gone or the days of like back alley brawls were like, oh, you know, I want to try your Wu Tang style. But, you know, people still do go to other martial arts schools, especially MMA fighters or people that do a lot of ground fighting because the UFC man has just like just shotgunned martial arts into everybody's face. You know what I mean? Like, you know what UFC is. You probably never trained a day of martial arts in your life, but you know what it is. And because of that, you know what pulling guard is, you know what, you know, being in a top position is, you know what ground and pound means, you know? And, and so there's people out there that think, you know, this is it, man. This is the top because look at all the money people are making from doing this. And then they come in and they don't realize that's just not 
everything, there's more to martial arts than just that. And, um, you know, so, you know, that's really the only challenges we get is people that come in and are like, well, I do MMA and I, I love MMA. I watch it and it's good. It's real effective. I mean, it's, it's wrestling, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's Thai boxing. It's all these things combined that, um, have been a, a proven their effectivity for years, for eons. But in my opinion, when you throw something into more of a sport aspect, like MMA is, it, um, it waters it down a little bit. So now you're like, you're training the same nugget of information as everybody else. And you're just trying to be better at it than everybody else. Just like a football game. Mm -hmm. Maybe you got a special play that gets you a couple of touchdowns and makes you better. But all the quarterbacks know how to throw the same passes, know how to do all the same flea flickers or whatever in the screens and this and that. And ultimately, then it just becomes who, who's better at this game. Yep. But there's people out there that don't play your game. And I think that's what a lot of martial arts don't recognize yeah. because everything's kind of gone the way of this, this sport aspect. Same thing happened back in the 60s and 70s with point sparring. Chuck Norris got so famous because he was good at Taekwondo and he was really good at point sparring. Everybody thought Chuck Norris was the best till something came along called full contact martial arts. Guys like Joe Lewis, Superfoot Wallace that were like, fine, you touched me once with a glove, but I'm going to follow up with like eight, nine shots and leave you with like a busted jaw, and you guys don't know how to deal with that. So there's constantly these changeovers in martial arts, you know what I mean? And, you know, what, what's, what's better? What's better is the person who, like, believes more in what they've been learning and not just like, I know this brute force, and but now i got to fight you because, like, we both weigh, you know, 190 pounds and – hold on, I want to kick your ass, but we got to schedule that for six weeks out so I can get my diet down. And it, it just it doesn't work that way. Sure. Survival is a different aspect, you know. You go outside right now, somebody might try to punch you in the face and steal all this equipment. What are you going to do? Be like, hey, I'll see you in six weeks, man, when I get my weight down, you know, because <laughs> you, you seem like you're about 170. I'm more like 200, you know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. Survival is survival is real. Yeah. Survival is real, yeah. you know. So It is, man. Um well, hey, dude. Uh, like, like I talked about, we'll we'll tell that story the next time okay. we do a podcast because I think yeah. I think that uh, you're great on a podcast, dude. I try, man. Thanks. Yeah, I think I think I think it comes from your um, from teaching it and from could be, yeah. talking to people. Yeah. yeah, you do you do great on a podcast. Thanks. This this has been a blast. Dude. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I didn't just yammer too much or no, anything like. No, well, that's <laughs> you know I've talked on plenty of podcasts. Yeah. And the thing that I enjoy is getting to know people and find out like what makes them tick, where they come from, like what makes a person who they are. And you're a person that I've I've respected for for a long time. Thank you. Because you're you're for one, you're an honest person and I know you're passionate about things in life. And uh and we shared a lot of the similar music back in the day and I knew you were a cool dude back then and to see you now as a as an adult and to hear your backstory, like I didn't know about your dad, I didn't know about yeah. your grandpa, yeah. I didn't know about that stuff. So uh, to get to know you a little bit more is pretty cool. Um, and I'll definitely have you back on again. Nice, thank you, thank you. Um, it's fun. I dig it, man. Dude, it's only the second it's one. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I need. I need to hear. Yeah, well, I have to set set up and let you know. Hey, dig up some stories like the one mm -hmm. in India, mm -hmm. and there was one about uh your best friend when you were younger something happened to his sister 
oh. uh, back in the day. I wouldn't mind yeah. hearing that. Where'd story. you hear that? Did it's I tell on you your that? Fa- it's on your, you know, the the notes. Oh, that's Facebook. right. Oh man, I forgot. Yeah, like the twenty five notes. Yeah, that was dude. like, I was like, wow, this is a gold mine for, for for podcast information. Man, he dug that stuff up. That's crazy. <laughs> do research, man. You gotta you gotta kind of know what you're talking. You're talking about I'm like, what do you know about? Yeah, because I was like, did you just remember the whole South Carolina thing for all these years? <laughs> yeah, that's ooh. I, you know, I was just talking about that with my wife. The whole um the the situation you're talking about with my with my friend was um that his <laughs> his si- oh, wow that was horrible to laugh right before I say what I'm about to say. She, my best friend at the time, or one of my best friends at the time, I was in fourth grade. His sister was thrown from a roller coaster, and I watched it. And I had I won't ride roller coasters. Haven't what? Re- yeah, I refuse. Wow. Just flat out. Was this an I, amusement park I had, or was yeah, it? Yeah. It was uh it's in South Carolina okay. and it, there it was a little it's like what they called a European style. Uh-huh. Um so it's more like just like an overgrown carnival. Okay. It's not like King's Island, anything like that. Sure. Just small, small lot, you know, good place for kids to go to. So it wasn't even like an inverted roller coaster or anything. It was basically um like I said, just like a really just like steroided out uh, carnival ride sure. and the lap bar failed and she got chucked out of this roller coaster and fell um, eh, probably about, I guess it was probably about four stories is oh what it's goodness, equivalent dude. to. And um, yeah, there's a whole nightmare that goes with that. And I was there. It was on Easter Sunday in 1982. Yeah, was, dude. Yeah, that, so. That kind of, st- like, that's one of my greatest fears mm-hmm. is dying on a on a, an amusement park ride. Yeah. I I have been on roller coasters since then. I've been real picky about it, and it's usually not been without, like, come on, it'll be fine, you know, and, like, seriously, the whole time, I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm going to die on this thing. Yeah. I'm praying, you know what I mean? I'm just like, just let me. So I, like, I barely enjoy the ride, if at all. And when I get off, I'm just like, all right, I'm on safe ground. It's fine. I made it. I'm never going to push my luck like that again. Millions of people ride roller coasters every day and everything's fine. But, um, yeah, something about being, you know, 10 years old or whatever and experience that kind of trauma. You're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that ever. So, yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah, that's a roller coaster, roller coasters and amusement park rides and thrill rides were always no problem to me. And then, um, when my oldest son was probably six or seven, I took him on Drop Zone in mm. Cincinnati mm-hmm. at Kings Island. And uh, Drop Zone, for people who don't know it, it's a tower. It goes all the way up. It takes you all the way up, holds you there, sp- spins around slowly, mm-hmm. but you're like s- way up there. And your feet are dangling, and you're mm-hmm. looking down, and I look over at him, and he kind of l- looks forward yeah. a little bit. yeah. And that was it. I was like, oh, oh, this is like, like he could die up here. Like he <laughs> right. could slip out. Not to laugh at that, but you know right. what I mean? You're having that thought. Obviously it didn't happen. Right. But, but that could happen. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, man, we got to, you got to laugh at the most uncomfortable yeah. things. That's how we get yeah. through. Yeah. It's just a natural reaction. But we, we came down and ever since then I've had a fear of heights mm. that um, it's, if if I just logically think about it when I'm up there, it or if I'm up in a high, um, like uh, uh, what was on Ferris Ferris wheel mm-hmm. at Cedar Point, we were up on a Ferris wheel, and I started kind of freaking out and panicking a little bit. 
And I think that uh, I think that as you get older, things like that happen. That it's it's like, where did this come from? Why all of a sudden do I have this fear of that I did never right. never had before? Right. It's weird, dude. Yeah. Weird. I mean, even in adulthood, obviously that can happen. <laughs> I don't. And you developed I, it because you were worried about your son. You know what I mean? Well, hey. Let's let's do this again. Let everybody know where they can sure. find you and your website and all that again. Yeah, all right. Um, Gem City Martial Arts is at 1843 East Troop Road uh, in Kettering. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, just do a search for Gem City Martial Arts. And that's G-E-M, like a gem, like not Jim, G-Y-M, or Jim, some guy's name. Gem City, the nickname of Dayton, Ohio. Um www.gemcitymartialarts.com sorry www.gemcityma.com um and i'm on twitter too kwag at uh, gem city martial arts and come down everybody is welcome always welcome all shapes sizes ages it's never too early it's never too late to start training for your survival and for your safety and uh, regardless of who you are, if you want to come in and check things out, you get one week of classes for free to test drive us before you even decide you want to sign up. Awesome, man. Right. Well, thank you very much, dude. Thank you. Um, you guys can go follow me on social media at The Izzy Rock. Go to theizzyrock.com for more information. Um, I am having knee surgery at the end of May. I have a torn meniscus. Oh, good luck. So I'll be, uh, I'll be out for a little bit. I don't know how long I'll be out of work. My doctor did give me until August to be out if, wow. if I needed. So I was like, wow. Uh, you got a nice or whatever, right? <laughs> I got short-term disability. All right, dude. Um, that's the way to do it. But uh, I'll be doing a bunch of podcasts from home uh, through Skype at that time. So I wanted to be able to get out and record a few of them. When this is recorded, uh, it's coming up on the three-year anniversary. I want to thank nice. everybody who's ever listened downloaded checked it out if you if you enjoy it just tell your friends family and uh thanks so much yeah thank you man this has been great this is my second one yeah so there's so gonna be more you're gonna you're gonna send me the song to to play yeah, y y sure it's on facebook i can send you the link right. or whatever send me so the link i'll do it and we'll, we'll add it do you want go ahead and announce the band. oh the name of the band is life giver so uh, how about we do it like this or it, this is like where it would be fading yep. out on radio uh Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy this song, Sin and Greed from Life Giver.
I think your dog just farted. <laughs> My dog just farted. Cue inspirational music. Hey guys, you can follow me on Twitter at the Izzy Rock, and I do a podcast with my friend Scott. I'm Scott Epic, and you can follow me on Twitter at the Scott Epic. We do a podcast called On the Block. On the Block. Go check it out. iTunes is Stitcher. If this sounds like something that appeals to you, do it. Go give it a listen. A wide range of topics we talk about. It's only an hour a month. Only an hour a month. And it could save your life. It could. And the life of a child. It'll make you feel like you're not alone in the universe. Yeah. On the Block. Go check it out. Hey guys, it's Izzy Rock. You like art? Well, I like art as well. And my friend Ray Taylor, who started the Inspired Disorder Collective, is an artist. And I want you to go to inspireddisorder.com. Go to Ray Taylor's store and check out all the badass art this dude has created. Put it in the code Izzy Rock. This is a sponsor for the podcast. Go support the Tales from the Heartside podcast by supporting Ray Taylor. That's right. By supporting Ray Taylor, you can also support your friend Izzy Rock. So go to inspireddisorder.com and go check out the store. And when you check out, put in the coupon code I-Z-Z-Y-R-O-C-K. Later. Red Moth LLC is a local company with a firm belief in community and the cooperative spirit, releasing both music and film in the Dayton, Ohio area, along with other national releases. Red Moth LLC is funded solely by the artists associated with the company and with the support of local listeners like yourselves. You can find out more about us by going to www.redmothrecords.com. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Red Moth LLC, and you can find us at Twitter at Redmoth underscore records. If you would like to donate to the cause and help support a local company, go to www.gofundme.com slash redmothllc and join the Red Moth Survival Initiative. Hi! You guys want to help me with something real quick? Hi! I'm recording a promo for my podcast. Didn't hear any of that. I'm, uh, I'm recording a promo for my podcast, and I was going to see if you could help me real quick. Really? Sure. Okay. <laughs> What are your names? I'm Caroline. Caroline. And I'm Melissa. And Melissa. Hi, this is Scott the Pool Boy from the internet with Scott the Pool Boy. I'm here with Caroline and Melissa, and they're just about to talk about how much they love my show. Ready, set, go. It is so flippin' awesome. Yes, Literally the best show I've ever heard in my entire life. Right? Like, you're amazing. Thank you. I fangirl so hard. The internet with Scott the Pool Boy, released every weekend. Thank you, Caroline and Melissa. You guys did great. You're very welcome. I'm Justin. I'm Jody. From the bad parent. <laughs> this could be a while. All right. Hey, I'm Justin. I'm Jody. No, that doesn't work either. <laughs> now I know why nothing ever gets done in Hollywood. <laughs> hey, Jody. Yeah, Justin. <laughs> hey, Jody. Hi, Justin. Do you like guys with beards? Um, sometimes. Sometimes. What about bald heads? Most of the time. What if there are guys with beards and bald heads with just deep 
rivers of blue eyes that just say I love you. I tend to marry them. <laughs> <laughs> now, what if they're just a genuinely good dude, too? Um, I just friend them. Befriend them. Not befriend them. friend them. Not friend them. That sounds like a Facebook thing. What about thing? be friendly with them? Not too friendly. Not too friendly? Oh. Well, the Izzy Rock meets those requirements. He's bearded. He's bald. He's got those deep rivers of bluey, bluey eyes. You mean he's got triple Bs? Yes, triple Bs. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a couple podcasts that he does. I knew that. Yeah. Tales from the Hard Side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the Block with his bestest friend ever, Scott Epic. Mm-hmm. And then he also produces the Gem City Podcast, which is a local, like, artsy-fartsy type podcast in the Dayton, Ohio area. So, Well, who knew? I know. I, I, basically, what I'm trying to say here is he's a good guy. You should go listen to him. Give him a, give him a shout-out. And if you like his stuff... You know what? Subscribe to him on iTunes. Also, you can leave him a comment. Rate, review, and subscribe, people. We'd appreciate it. And so would he. Yes, yes, he would. Oh, he's a, he's a dad, too. So the Bad Parenting Podcast loves the fact that he's a dad. So that helps out. Dads also, are great. Dads are great. Two cool sons. See, good dude. Reason good kids. We need more people like him. I agree. So, yes, yes. Listen, listen to Izzy's shit. It's, it's awesome. Agree again. All right. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye.